And it's cool for me as the artist because it's taking me out of it and is illustrating these people's points of view who I never even named, never. I just picked up a paintbrush and these people like came into view. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. All right, we're recording. All right. I'm going to do my regular little intro, okay? <laughs> Not to take away from your job, all right? All right. Yes, it's Studio Noise, the voice of black artist, your boy Jay Barber, coming to you live from Mint Gallery in Midtown. Or not Midtown, it's West End Atlanta. Midtown, I'm thinking about my studio. <laughs> it's not my studio. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're in West End Atlanta. I go all over to bring you the best black artists in the world. And today I'm here with an exciting young artist, Dimitri Burke, recent GSU grad, Mint Year Leap artist. Dimitri, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I mean, I'm chilling, man. I'm, it's all about you tonight, man. Okay. So nobody care about what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, how's the audience doing? How are y'all feeling? Okay. All right, yeah. Uh, thank y'all so much for coming out. This means a lot. This is my debut solo show, but also like my first time doing like a podcast live. So this is nerve wrecking for me. <laughs> so thank y'all for coming. It's just me, yo. Just your boy. That's it, man. <laughs> we just go to sit, chill, and chop it up like we always do, man. Right. You know how it is. I've known you for quite a while, man. I got introduced to you through working with Charlie. Uh, me going to grad school at Georgia State, worked with a lot of the undergrads there, was in your senior portfolio class, giving a little critiques and stuff. Yes. So, yeah. So, you know, I feel like I've watched your work develop over a long string of time. So, it's so exciting to see it right here, here, see it manifest right out of grad school, here at Mint Gala with your show, and then We Heard Thunder. It's a great name for a show, by the way. And your work has changed a lot from when I first encountered it until now. And we're gonna talk about that as we get going. But first of all, you got a great write-up in the AJC. Yes. Uh, it was by, <laughs> yes, it was by Felicia Fester for the AJC, Skillful Attention to Mood and Color Defined an Atlanta Painter's Promising Solo Exhibition. It's your first solo show. How does that make you feel? Just just the headline alone before you even read the article, you got it. How are we feeling? Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it felt like um, really cool. It was definitely like a full circle moment because um, like one of the ways I got into creativity was through reading and that was like through the AJC. So to see like my name in the paper, I was like, okay, like um, if there's ever like a measure or like a marker for what I need to be doing, that was definitely that. And it was a glowing review, I would say. I thought it was, yeah. it was, it was really great to get that kind of look, especially early on in your career. How did you feel after you read it? Like we, I got first impression, you excited, but after you read it and you started to see 
but people actually feeling this stuff. Like, what do you? What made you feel? Damn. <laughs> like, um, like what I was doing kind of like made sense. I know, like with um, fine art, sometimes you can take a bit more of like a ephemeral, like um, subjective approach. So like those concrete ideas was kind of like subtle or hidden. But like when reading that article, it was like, okay, what I what I intentionally did was being shown throughout. And that was um, with um, a writer who like never met me, just like saw the work itself. And at first I wasn't going to like read it. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> that's, that's all that needs to happen. Yeah. That it, that it gets there. But to have such like um, a well-rounded, thought-out review and to have it um, about my own work was, it was amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's a thing that young artists especially, um, as in Georgia State, I talked to a lot of the students and you probably heard this before, but it's not just what you say, but it's what people hear, mm. right? And so to me, I feel like that validation that was in the article from she picked up on the things that you put down you know what I mean? I think that's a great thing for you, especially to, to get that sensation, right? That feeling of success from coming from completion of work in a show. So congratulations to you on that one, right? Thank you. And so let's, let's get into the work a little bit, man. And um, I'm going to start with this work and we'll talk a, a lot. We'll jump around a little bit and talk a lot about your history, how you got into art and stuff. But I'm going to go through the lens of the show first and foremost. The words on, on right at the front door when you come in says the show plays more upon the transformative nature of desire. Explain that to me. Um, so with this show, I was interested in like nailing down like my own like artistic practice. And with my own artistic practice, it's kind of like um, leaving things to have like a little level of like um, unfinishedness or like letting the texture of the surface play out like seeing the canvas itself seeing like the paint marks itself rather than like fully depicting something and i think in that absence a lot of like desire like forms and stuff so nailing that concept down and also doing so with like the reference material um, my biggest reference material was like jazz by tony morrison and that book is like um, full on desire. So really thinking about it, um, think, thinking about like that concept and like having, having like the painting technique be a part of like the narrative. Yeah, yeah. I like how that go. So I picked up some stuff on your website. So I'm, I'm connecting a lot of dots. Tell me if I'm connecting them wrong, you know, artists, we tend to <laughs> look for a lot of stuff and it may not actually make any sense, right? <laughs> so on your website, you have a, this one part on it, and I'm related to the show and we'll go through a couple pieces when we do it. It says, black like the skin, still like the clouds, and hopeful like his mother's smile. For me, that's a, that's a moment. Mm. And I don't know if you intended for it to be a moment, but it picks up on a lot of these things from the show. So when I see when I when I see the words black light skin, I think about the first piece right here that we're looking at. It's called and beauty smiled, right? It's a reclining figure. Looks like oil wash. Explain the technique, and then we'll get into a little bit of one. Um, so the technique itself is using I think um, the pronunciation is gamzol. So um, gamzol is like the paint thinner. It's like what you dip oil paint in to like um, get it off the brush. So um, it's not supposed to be like used in the actual painting, 
but like kind of taking that um, approach to it to let the oil like bleed and like drip down and then like cause that moment of like movement and stuff in like such a still image and then and then that's carried over a bit more like defined into the actual rendering of the face like leaving like getting away from the gamzol mixing it more with like the traditional painting sense and actually seeing the process of me painting you can see um the palette itself um next to like the figure's shoulder it kind of like makes like a little arch or like a little wing. So I'm showcasing my hand in the work, kind of making it a bit more intimate, um, precious, seeing like the artist itself and then showcasing from the first step to the final step of like what it's like to do a painting like this. And what does that unfinished nature of it do for you? Um, I think it allows itself to have its own voice with um, any type of art. There's like a level of like frustration of making a material like rendered into something that it's not. So um, at the end of the day, this is paint. <laughs> and so you're trying to <laughs> make it in, into a person. And I guess like leaving it as paint kind of decenters myself from it and opens it up to like, um, like me as like a conduit, me as like um, just like transformer. So taking me out of it and putting like the whole like idea, like that ephemeral nature into it. We're gonna jump over to the still like the clouds. So we got to talk about uh, in his company, forgetfulness fell, fell like pollen. Yes. Man, these are some, these are some titles, man. You worked on these titles, man. Um, I'm gonna tell you right now. <laughs> you put in some work on these, man. But tell me about tell me about that's the one with the clouds over here. Yes. Tell me about it. And then the titles themselves are um from like quotes from TV shows, from movies and books. And you can kind of like um see that clue in the fact that they're quotations and stuff. So um it's not my own doing, but it's like the work of others. So again, like decentering me from it and kind of like pushing it into a bit more of a personal and kind of like casual experience. And then with that one, I guess I've always been interested in like clouds. Um, I take pictures of them all the time and I've been wanting to like reference it. And I think my work um, kind of like, when I think about like my own art, I kind of like think about clouds, like they're still, they can be um, like this level of um, iconography to it. Um, they have like motion, but they're really, you're watching it in like this like still moment and they're um, like, they have like a level of like beauty when you look at it. So I was like trying, I think I'm always like trying to make a cloud when I'm like making a painting under like those basic elements of what I see in nature. And then for that piece itself, it was um, like, putting that actually into paint, like what I see when I look at the sky and also like the absence of things. So in like all these paintings are kind of like portraits and they all have like faces attached to them. Um, that painting has like that level of like personality to it and its presence forgetfulness felt like pollen. So it's kind of like showing what's not present and then making the emphasis on that. Yeah, I think in the AJC article, they mentioned that it felt like a portrait without a figure. Yes. Right? Yeah. I thought a great line where if Felicia's out there, yo, big shout out to Felicia for yeah. writing this great <laughs> article, yo. 
Um, tell me about the collage part of it. So the collage part of it, um, there's a couple of different collage parts of it. If you notice, there's like a little twinkle to the left of it. So that's like um, glitter. So it kind of like acts like a little star. It kind of like catches the light and catches your eye. And it kind of has like a level of like disillusion to it when you walk up to it. And then also that level of disillusion is through like the other um, collage of it. So those are like book references, which is And Then We Heard the Thunder by John Oliver Killens and like the self-help book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in both those senses, um, what those books can kind of be summed up to be is like your measure of success or like how like America kind of like views your success. In the first book, it's a war story. So that level of success was to provide for your country. In Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's about like how to make money and how to be successful in a monetary sense. And just collaging those all together and kind of putting those measurements of success in like an ephemeral nature. Like, um, and then we heard the thunder comes from like World War II, a veteran's tale. It's also a quote from Harriet Tubman, which is describing like the Civil War. Um, the last book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it comes from like the 90s. So there's always like these like hopes and dreams and like these fears that we're having. And the clouds kind of like still exist. So we're inheriting like this landscape over and over again. And the last part of that quote that you had on your website, hopeful like his mother's smile, I want to point to not this one. The last poem I'm going to write about us. And it's paired with this other one, Turn a Corner of My Mind and You Be There. I think those two go together. So yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing it out there to say, to see what you say about the two. Um, with those two in particular, um, when I made this show, I was thinking about couples. So that's like the most like direct sense of couples. Um, there's nine pieces in here. And out of like the other eight pieces, since it's an odd number, um, some of these pieces are looking out for each other. In, in this sense, you get that they're supposed to be together. In other senses, like these two are across the room, others are, are across the room, kind of like trying to find each other. But that's like when they're together. Um, that quote from the title, last poem I'm gonna write about us is from like Sonia Sanchez. And that poetry is kind of, like this ephemeral moment where she's talking about like her lover and um, she's kind of dreaming about, um, I guess what's gonna happen next or what she might've wanted to happen. So I guess that plays into like that level of like hope and that level, that moment of like chance that's going on. So hopeful, like my mother smile. As I look around the show, when I first came in, I sensed um, this feeling of melancholy mm. from it. It's not right. It's not an unbridled joy, but it's not a misery. Hmm. I, I think it's somewhere in between. Like, is that the headspace you were in when you were kind of creating this work or getting into it? Yeah, you know, it's really dark and moody and, <laughs> and a little like over the top. I feel you're you know, not like, a dark and moody person. I don't think so. I don't. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, I think when I and I think it's sometimes a little bit of stereotypical for artists to get into like that um, raw emotion and sometimes raw emotion at best or at the most like um, at the most like distinguished moment can kind of be like that level of like melancholy that moment of like um, drama and stuff mm -hmm. and uh, um, 
I think what I'm doing is trying to describe the whole experience. So there's like moments of like bright colors and like happiness and stuff, but the figures don't necessarily like look um, at their best or at their happiest. So making that like universal, like you hold both those things in your hand to kind of like describe the feeling of life. And I think that's cool because um, Sometimes I feel like in portraiture, like you're kind of expected to show people at their best. And I think it created like a more human experience to show people that weren't always like um, happy, that weren't always like feeling the moment and showcase like that human nature of it all. There's a piece when you first walk in, it's yellow and has the three figures in it. Uh, big yellow gestural kind of background and then kind of the figures almost centered mm. inside of it. Uh, the name of the piece is, I didn't fall in love, I rose in it, I saw you and made up my mind. Another great title, man. Where are you getting this stuff from, man? <laughs> <laughs> but it's all on paper. Uh, I'm, I used that as a set way to talk about the way that your figures are interacting with the environment, right? And the first one we talked about is just mostly this kind of, I guess a warm gray kind of color with the figure going in and out of it. Not a lot of, I want to say action going on in the environment, but the environment is presented to me almost separate and the figures are interacting with it. This one with the yellow especially, I got that same feeling. Tell me how you feel about your figures and where they are mm. in the place that you were created for them. Um, I think the figures are kind of like in, um, a bigger moment than like real life. They are um, kind of isolated from like their natural surroundings and it kind of like heightens the mood. And they're also becoming the environment. It's like, um, you can look at it in like a matter of different ways, but it's kind of like um, the outfits become the environment, uh, like their skin kind of fades or like emerges from the background. So in all, like the personality is being like fully showcased, but also like um, in a sense that feels a little ephemeral, feels like magical in nature and like putting that out onto like the canvas. Tell me about the yellow one quickly. I'm gonna call it a yellow one because I don't okay. feel like saying the whole title again, yes. but <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about the yellow one and the figures in particular. Um, the figures in particular, I was um, interested in drawing like three people and then I was interested in like drawing, once I like figured it was gonna be like a trio, I was interested in drawing like that um, camaraderie between like men and stuff. So I was like looking at like, um, like friend groups together and poses. That pose, that reference material I had for it was like looking through like a bunch of like yearbooks and like landing on like um, alphas together. Like um, I think it was like the, like a 1950s type yearbook and then like detailing that experience itself. Um, and I think what's so cool about that one, they kind of like the yellow itself kind of has like that nature of like something that like feels warm, um, like it's dripping down like rain. So kind of like, to me, like feels like this summer rain. And then they, they're in the center, they're like phasing in and out. They're not like fully rendered. So they almost kind of like feel like phantoms, um, like ancestors, like angels, like ghosts. So to me, when I was drawing it, um, 
it made me like a little nervous. It made me feel like a little enchanted. And it kind of like asked me to stop. Like I had like other ideas for where the piece was gonna go, how fully I was gonna render it. But um, when those faces appeared, it felt like I didn't need to do anything else. And it kind of like felt like their own story. And it has like that level of like enchantment where you kind of feel comforted by it, but you kind of don't want to get near it. And I think most of these pieces like feel that way where they're showing you their personality, but um, they're not giving you too much of anything. Like they have this agency in their story. And it's cool for me as an artist because it's taking me out of it and is illustrating these people's points of view who I never even named, never, like um, I just picked up a paintbrush and these people like came into view. And then the title itself again comes from Jazz by Toni Morrison, which is a great quote um, out of context about like love and agency and really admiring a person. And then if you read the like full quote, it's, it has like a little haunting effect because the characters are talking to each other and they're kind of like in this um, bad part of the book. So the quote itself is like really loving. The context of that quote is kind kind of like feels a little dangerous. Mm. So having that um, juxtaposition throughout of it, like myself through the art, through the subject matter, just having that level of tension um, throughout the art. It's interesting. You've mentioned several times as we we're talking about this, wanting to remove yourself. Um, taking yourself out of the center. Why is that? What what is what is what is it about you being the voyeur of these people, mm -hmm. looking onto them from some abstract or far distance? Why does that make you feel comfortable? Well, I don't want y'all in my business. <laughs> but um, and also, I think it's a little bit um, easier to talk about my business in that way when I like I decenter it when I make it a universal concept. And it makes like, like what have like made me emotional, made me sad, um, made me mad, or like made me happy. It gives it. It doesn't give it too much strength anymore. If it becomes like universal, mm. if it becomes like open ended for like the audience to feel, and it becomes like really productive to like work through. And I think, um, I think it's cool. I know um, with art. At least in America, there's, um, there's always like this significance, um, this importance into what you're doing. And as the actual artist, I was just interested in like having fun. And sometimes I forget that. So I think doing all those tools kind of puts it back into what was like really important to me, which was to make the artwork. Another one we'll talk about. I am the sign of the letter and designation of the division, which is on the back wall. I'm interested in the framing of that figure. Yes. Like how did you come to that and what is the purpose? How does it reinforce what you're saying about the subject there? Mm -hmm. So um, the framing itself, I was interested in, um, I guess articulating this whole like experience into one piece. So for me, I'm thinking about like intimacy and desire. All the other pieces kind of are like alone figures and they're kind of like um, 
distance, like staring back between one another. In this piece, it's like all those figures are kind of like present, but there's like still like a sense of like the ferment. Um, there's like two silhouettes in like the forefront and it's being broken up by a man. And then the man is kind of like being broken up by like those two silhouettes. So there's this moment of like tension and like this um, moment, these moments of like agency between like these two bodies trying to coexist with one another and just showcasing um, like the whole like experience of the show and then articulating it into like that, that piece itself. I'm, ever, I'm interested in what does painting mean to you? Because I see you exploring and I haven't seen a lot of your other work. You are dipping into the specifics of what the medium can do, right? You want to show more of the process, especially in some of these other ones, where it really leans heavily on the unfinished nature of it. What is it? What does painting mean to you? Mm, um, I think painting. Um, I think for me, it's kind of like the utility of it. Like. Um, I want to depict something. I want to be productive in my creativity. I want to showcase my feelings, and I want to have like um, like a conduit, like at me as like a conduit of these experiences of people I've seen, of stories I've heard, of stories I have myself. So painting for me is like that tool of telling a story. I think that's what I'm interested in. At the end of the day, is um, storytelling. Um, whether it's like subtle or it's like really direct and whatever tool I use um, for this is painting and then I kind of like deviate back and forth between whether it's going to be on canvas, whether it's going to be on panel, whether it's going to be um, really rendered or like really abstracted, whether it's going to be a person or not. So it's really experimenting with the tool itself. But all in all, it's to try to be a good storyteller. So little Dimitri, when you're drawing uh, your mama uh, as, you know, with popsicle sticks and stuff like that, did, did you feel that tendency towards narrative even at a young age as you picked up art, as you picked up painting, or is it something that has been solidifying over the last couple of years? Um, yeah, I think before I really got into, uh, around the same time I was doing art, I was like making stories. Um, I had like a little journal and I was um, writing and stuff. Um, I've been heavy into books. So, you know, um, as a child, you have like tools of imagination, tools of like being able to like get out your environment and like really be creative. Mm -hmm. So wherever it was gonna like stick, and for me, it was specifically through art, but um, I was always interested in like the books and the stories and um, um, what can be imagined. Um, my grandmother, she was an English teacher, so she has like a rich nature of stories. And then um, my mother was really, is still really interested into like reading. And then some of my best friends, um, we connected through like reading like the same books. So honestly, I want to be a writer, I guess, <laughs> talking about this. But um, <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> Look at this art. I'm going to <laughs> <laughs> want books, yeah. <laughs> but um, whatever whatever was supposed to stick. And, you know, drawing is kind of like um, writing. I guess you can never feel, like, too sure. It has, like, a format that is, like, kind of, like, strict with it. You don't um, – you can always, like, 
I think with writing, you don't always interrogate like the nature of language, why a D looks like this or why an I looks like this. But with like art, it really, um, that basis level is like for further interrogation. And I think um, it allows itself to be really fun for like a child who is like um, really interested in like making something like look good, but not having any like set rules on how something's supposed to look like. Yo, 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 is this, is this thing on? Uh, this is your boy, Dr. Fahamu Paku, live from Atlantis, you know how we do, and I'm tuned in, locked in to Studio Noise. Was there something that your family supported you in? Like, were there other artists around? Did you interact, or did they just kind of... Let let Lil D do his thing, yo. Don't worry about him. Don't bother the boy. No, no. Um, yeah, they definitely um supported me in, into doing so. I think um also with that, um, like my biggest senses of like art like came from like the home. Like like looking at um prints and um like something that might have been my grandma's um house was also in my mom's house, was in my auntie's house. And then you can like watch shows like Insecure and you can kind of like see like the same um, art print of um, women, of like um, people in history, of like the Jesus paintings and just seeing like that connection. So that inkling to make art was always like reflected and it was, it was always supported. Um, they were taking me to my first little art shows um, I'm getting me like color pencils and stuff. And then with my dad, like um, me, my brother and my dad, we would do our little like art competition. So that's where like the stick figures like came into play. And we would just see who would have like the best stick figure. And then I tried <laughs> to make a career out of it. And I think it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's going well. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is going well. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that to say that in a lot of families, like my family in particular, right? Uh, no other artists, just me. So Jamal's just going out and doing his thing. So I had to go out and find a lot of the inspiration I was looking for for myself. And I, what I think is interesting about you, even how I met you through you working with Charlie Palmer. And so I know you now you work with Arturo Lindsay. I've seen you working with Fahamo and helping um, Fabian on doing murals and stuff like that. Um, I like that aspect of you right mm -hmm. the desire to seek out more knowledge and interact with people tell me a little bit about how you ended up working with charlie and how you started this kind of mentorship path that you've been on yeah um so my first like um meeting with charlie came through like zucat i used to intern at zucat gallery um like one of my first few years of undergrad and then um I saw Charlie's work and then I said, okay, um, I want to get to know who Charlie is. And then I met him. Um, I met him with one of my friends, um, Sanchez, is, who is also um, an artist. And then we got to work with him. Charlie introduced me to a number of people, um, including like Tracy Mural, um, Fabian Williams, um, Miriam Moma and just um, he kind of had like a really like foundational level with it 
And I think what's really cool is that that was like me meeting him as an adult. But because Charlie is like such a prolific artist, like his art has always been around. In like that same sense of like saying like you could see art prints at your grandma's house, at your mom's house. Um, my grandma got one of those prints, um, one of those prints from Charlie, and then she has it still hanging up in her house. And that was like, um, probably like when I was like a toddler. And that's, so his work has always been there. If anybody knows about, um, whatchamacallit, um, there's like certain like TV shows and as an artist, you kind of like see, as an artist, they use your work for like the background artwork or like yeah. the background images. Yeah. So Charlie was in like some of those. So he's always been, he's actually now looking back in hindsight, um, Charlie has kind of like been in and out of my life. But when I like first met him, it was like through Zucat. Oh, so, and so that relationship, what did, what did you gain out of that working relationship with him? Not just, yeah, Charlie's great. We love Charlie. Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> you know, but a working relationship with him because I talked to Charlie, but I talked to him more as artist to artist. You were there, like in the studio working, getting hands-on treatment from him. What was that process like for you? Um, um, one, um, his work ethic himself, um, like that in that nature of like being an artist um charlie is really um diligent he gets to work and it's so cool to watch because um he is like um such a prolific artist has had like a career for like such a long time so when i'm watching him work um it feels like i'm watching him work as if he was like 20 or 30. like i feel like that work ethic is a constant for him so that kind of like gave me an example of like how to do things and then um how business can kind of like work out in an artist community which is really um foundational being um, a college student because college um well so, some of that education or a lot of that education for myself was more into the art side of it and not necessarily um, the career side of it. So I had like a more of a hands-on experience of what that was supposed to look like. And did you enjoy your time like at, at undergrad? Um, because there's a, there's a debate going on, right? Out where is art school even necessary? Like, is it is it worth it? Should you even take your time? You will learn more if you just do it yourself. You know what I mean? Like. What was your experience? And you just recently graduated, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I graduated um, December 2020. And so with my experience with undergrad, I think it's like particular for the individual and like what you're interested in. Um, and for myself, I was kind of interested in like what was outside of um, school. So that kind of like led me to like the internships and meeting other artists and like working with them. And with the actual like school, I think um, the experience of like learning, um, being in a setting where you can like constantly like critique and grow is really helpful. And it's kind of like hard to like find that like outside of like a school experience. Um, nowadays, artists are on like Twitter and like Instagram and that never really like lends itself up for, I feel like an honest critique or a critique that doesn't feel like um, kind of like um biased or like one-sided mm -hmm. in school um, you get your teachers and your students that are kind of like working with you so it has that that level of like community um 
that might not need to happen through college. Um, we can create those systems ourselves. Um, artists were kind of like here before college, so it can still be that way. And I think um, with the institution itself, there there could be more, and from my experience, maybe more like into like the career and the development of like certain practices. And art is um, art is something that you figure out yourself. Um, nobody has like the same path as you. But it would be um, nice to be. <laughs> it would be nice if there was like a little like checkpoint or like a bit more into like the guidelines of things. And that could start early, like um, freshman year, sophomore year. Because I know um, a lot of my classmates, some of them like transitioned out of the program or found like other routes to go in. Sometimes that would have been like graphic design. Sometimes that would have like leaving like the major entirely because they didn't have like that information of what to do next. So encouraging that like really early on, I think that would be good for college. So right out of, right out of college, you're still working, you're working with Arturo Lindsay now. You get the Mint Leap Year Artist opportunity. Tell us about that and what it's been like for you. Um, it's It's been really cool, <laughs> I, I would say. Um, just being in the presence of so many different artists is really amazing to me. Uh, working with Arturo, who has like such a prolific career, who has like inspired like a number of people and then like be like really hands-on into that process was um, really amazing to get into and to learn. And you kind of like, um, like for these experiences, you kind of can see how you want your art to end up and like, like what's valuable as um, a career. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of have um, that level of camaraderie that you're not alone with it. A lot of art is being, a lot of that art process is like making it by yourself. So it's always like cool to be a helping hand or like to have a helping hand and to see that experience itself. And then with Mint, I can um, say the same, like having a working space um, wasn't just good, it was like essential. Like um, it made me work better, it made me work diligently and it gave me um, the headspace to really like focus on all these tasks. And um, I think I'll, really appreciated a lot more like later on but it's been really amazing that's what's up that's what's up and so has it has having a separate studio space i'm assuming you're like everybody else work in my bedroom on the, yes. on, the on the floor whenever i can having a separate studio space has done what for you um like from working from the bedroom to like the studio space it's like um it's like, um, um, it's really amazing. Like, you don't realize what hell is until, <laughs> until you, um, until, oh Lord. <laughs> until you get out of there. Because it really, um, it really does kind of like working in that space of like relaxation or like, like messing up, messing up your bedroom, like cluttering it with art, cluttering it with like work. You don't realize like how taxing that can be, how mm. it doesn't like make, it doesn't really, it makes pieces, but you like being in the studio space, it lets you know what more could be possible with said practice. So it was like eye opening, it was refreshing. And it kind of like let me know 
because I think a lot of artists in America kind of have like this mindset of like working like despite of and that's also like what's interesting to people what we were able to accomplish despite of something else happening but now um like that despite of is interesting but I don't want it to exist anymore into my practice so whenever I can have the opportunity to eliminate like a stress that's always good for me yes make space for yourself always yes. always mm -hmm. make space for yourself if there was one thing about this show that you would tweak, I'm not going to say it's wrong. I don't think it needs to be changed. But if you could tweak something about this show as it is. Now, I think it's interesting where you're early in your career, your first solo show, you get to look at the work as it is. Mm. Right. It's not in your studio on the floor, mm. surrounded by all these other pieces and the sketches and all this other stuff. Like, this is it. Right. This is what the outside world is encountering. And now you look at it with a clean eye. What would you tweak on it? Um, I wouldn't have given myself six months to work on it. I would have had like um, more time. Um, this was my first solo show. And then I got the studio space and the announcement to do this work in July and then to prepare in January. And I think um, I was a bit ambitious to <laughs> um, to try to do all of this, not to just try to do all of this, but to try to do all of this without like stress, because that can be like such a big factor. And even if um, you have more time, it still has like a moment of like pressure, a moment of like stress and like a moment of like tension. And that I don't think it ever like helped me make the art. Mm. So to eliminate that or if if not to give myself more time to have better time management, which is something I'm always like learning. So that would be that. My my tweak would be something I guess would would be that time feature into it. So this is a, a nerdy art thing. Mm. Uh, how how do you create? Like when you when you approach an idea, where does it come from? Does it come from a picture? Does it come from a sketch? Does it come from I know you say you listen to a lot of things. You got a lot of quotes from books and stuff like that. Is that where the genesis is or is it all kind of percolating in another place? Let me know. Um, I think um, like it deals with like real life experiences and then trying to be like, OK, that was really interesting. How can I depict that? And then once that idea forms, like an image kind of like comes to mind and I'm like trying to articulate that idea, I think now that I have like a body of work here and then I can look at work in the past, like some themes have always been like emerging, like um, the color scheme, the use of like quotations, um, the subject matter itself. So now when I'm thinking about it, um, I'm just really trying to map out my personality and, and do it in like a concrete way. Like what I, what I like, what colors I like, what um, textures I like keep like reappearing. Like some of these ideas I had in my head like two or three years ago, um, four years ago, and now, and I've, or I might've like redone something and now like they're being presented here. So it's kind of like I'm constantly just redrawing something and it, it's subtle. Um, it's something that um, I notice it might be more noticeable after a couple more years into into this art career, but it is kind of that one thought that keeps uh, percolating in my brain. And then we're like, okay, let me articulate it like this. 
let me articulate it with this person, let me articulate it with like this material and just continuing that. One piece in particular that when you mention that, uh, I think about what's called I'll See You When It Gets Cool Out. Mm-hmm. I think to me, that's one of my favorite pieces of yours. It's a it's a guy and it has the same cool colors as your clouds over here. And he's like looking up and it has like this rounded top on it. Uh, it's a beautiful piece. Y'all should look it up when you see it. Um, is there some kind of relation from that piece to this work that you see? Yeah. Um, first, that work kind of has um, like the sky in it. Like there's no clouds, but you can you kind of have like this I, I idealistic like look of like um, of like nature and of like this um, landscape or like the skyscape. And then also, um, I think his pose is kind of like teetering between like relaxation and exhaustion. And I think some of these figures kind of like teeter between that, whether they look really casual or and relaxed, they like look a little bit tight and upset and you're kind of like meeting them in like that moment. And it's kind of like up to you to decide. And also like um, playing around with um, that nature of portraiture in that photo, like his eyes are closed. And I think that takes so much pressure off of like what portraiture like has to be. Um, with these, like the eyes are open. And I think that kind of like has a pressure on it to itself. But instead of like me thinking about like what the audience is gonna say about like that viewpoint, like the pieces are kind of like just looking at themselves where they're positioned in the gallery their point of view kind of like goes past the audience and like looks at the other painting. So it kind of frees it up from that pressure, which as a painter, you kind of like feel like, how are you going to like discuss like the canon of painting? How is your work going to be um, thought about in that um, history and canon of painting? So that's kind of where, and also the arches, um, those arches that's in that painting is also reminiscent there. Um, so, and then there's, there's glitter in that one. There's a little moon above the head. Um, if you look around, some of, some of these paintings have like, um, little, little details, little like sparkles that like float above the head. That's what's up, man. And so I'm going to open it up to questions. So the audience, we got a a lot of people here (laughs) for the show. Like you're a very popular man, man. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, so I'm gonna open up the question, but last question I got for you: What's your big goal? What do you want to? Where do you want to be? What do you see yourself doing? Um, again, I think I want to be um, a storyteller. Um, I think that's um, a running trait. Like I'm interested in stories. I think stories have been foundational in like reading and like connectivity. I can see that in my family in the way like. My grandmother taught stories the way like my parents would read stories the way like my brother is also like interested in like storytelling. So I think that nature of it has always been interesting, something I want to come back to. And I think I want to be like really explorative. Um, one of my biggest inspirations is like Toni Morrison. So she was really interested in just exploring what could be possible with like the tool that she used. So with whatever tool I'm gonna use, I think I wanna expose that tool for itself and then tell a story with that. That's what's up. Any questions from the audience? Anybody? Just put your hands up and then. So I actually got a 
Oh, okay. So the question, I got to repeat the question because we're recording. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's actually, is a MFA something that you are looking to do? Yeah, I'm interested in like furthering my practice. I think right now I want to just figure out this art world first. And, but um, I would be interested in like furthering that practice. And I would be interested in like doing it in like the hot spots of like this art world. Like we're in the South, so we have... Miami and Atlanta, but I do want to like go up like up north and see what people are creating. So I'm more so like looking at those schools. More questions? Is the separation of your practice from your personal self something that you've always had or came to you over time? I think it's something I realized over time. I think um, sometimes you're you're given like this history of art and you kind of don't even like know the people that's, um, you don't even like know the artists um, through like the, I guess like great masters of painting, you know, like that story. And then like being in the South where sometimes it felt like what was the most important was kind of like depicting um, like icons and iconography. So that was like a separation of like self from it. So I think it kind of like was um, something that like emerged. And then for me, myself was to, use it a bit actively and to focus on, I guess, like these hidden figures and like paint them themselves and also relate it back to myself and then relate it to like a universal experience. He asks if, uh, because your work is so so poetic, have you ever thought about using actual text inside of your work because of your relationship to the words as you were talking about earlier? Yeah, um, I have. I have a couple pieces where um, some quotes, excuse me, are like directly on the painting. And I think with that, and the same with these, um, and they were like recent too, and still with like arches, and then they have like quotes from like separate texts, um, is to 
not um, define what the work is, but to give it like new context to it. So I'm playing with that, um, where the text is gonna be. I think what was cool with this one was to take the text out of it. And then you kind of have to like search for it yourself. Like it's, it's right there, but you don't realize it until you walk up to it. So it feels more like a conversation. And then it has like a moment of intimacy with it because if you're far back, you don't realize it, but if you're up close, when you're actually like near it, and then you get that experience with it. When do you plan to go abroad? You got to go, man, you got to go. You got uh, to go for it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, he's gonna help you out. <laughs> So she asked if there was, since you only had six months, was there a particular anchor piece that you used to center the show around and bring everything together as like a focus or was it making? Um, yeah, so my anchor was um, these two, the reclining figures. Um, my anchor was that I wanted to depict a couple and then I, then I was thinking, okay, how do I make it seem like they're a couple without them being in the same picture? And then after that, everything kind of like created itself. Thank you. Anything else? Yep. That question was about uh, the mixed media, all the different processes. I asked specifically about painting, but all the collage and other materials that you included in it. Um, for myself, um, I never like to sit still with whatever I'm doing. So sometimes to create like that movement and that moment of like spontaneity is to glue something down. And I think also that like works of text is to give it um, another um, angle for you to approach it, another context for you to approach it. And I think that's kind of like how my mind works. Like um, there's like a clear thought and then something kind of like intersects it and then something intersects that thought. And then I come back to like that original idea. So showcasing like the actual thought process of like what it's like for me like day to day and then doing that through collage. I think um, juxtaposition has, al has always been something I've been interested in. So um, it, come, it comes in and out of the work. That question was about uh, how people approach the work and how it sits in different directions, the use of architecture inside of it, the arches, like all of that stuff. 
Yeah, um, actually, now that that's brought up, that, um, um, I was interested in like arches before this because arches kind of like had like a universal shape to them. Like they're reflective in like hoodies and like basketball courts and um, the way like homes are built, like the ways like doors look. So they have like a universal nature to them, the way they're positioned and then like what's inside of them. So, and then after that, um, I had a, I think we're all having a conversation like uh, with like GSU and you mentioned making like things like life size. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, like, and then these two kind of like popped up with like the couple of like them kind of be like life size and like larger. And then like the idea of like wood came into play. So some of these are like done on like panel. So to um, architecture, when I think about architecture, I think about like houses and stuff. So when I think about houses, I think of like wood. So to have like that um, kind of like narrative in there, but to do it like subtle was to transition from like canvas to panel to articulate that. And then the way like certain things are like spaced out and like placed um, was for them to um, kind of um, play um, with the environment and interact with each other. So a bright pop of color might be on one side of the room and then another bright pop of color might be there. Um, um, black might be present right here uh, or like a sparkly version of that black might be present right there. And then you go to another piece and there's a, like another like texture of it. And then again, for them to like, for the pieces themselves to like look at each other and then for like you as an audience to realize what's going on. Like um, that silhouette piece, not everybody notices the silhouette at first. Some people notice the person first, some people notice the silhouette. In other pieces, you walk up to it, you notice the title, or you like notice like some like nature of like glitter or like shimmer to it. And I think that kind of like gives us its own agency where the piece knows what it is. It's no, it knows where it's being placed in position. And you as the audience kind of discover it itself. That's high level thinking, man. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you uh, so I'll end it like this. I'll say it has been a pleasure to get to know you, to get to see you in Georgia State, to get to see your work develop. I think you are, uh, I said it before, but you are an exciting young artist because you're hitting on things and you're exploring and you're finding yourself outside of the trends and outside of what people currently accept as painting. You're looking for your own way. And to me, that is the true sign of an artist. So I, I don't know where you're going to go, but wherever it is, make sure you holler at your boy, come back on the <laughs> podcast, man, so I can get you <laughs> where you need to go. But this fantastic show, man. Congratulations to you, Dimitri Burke. Oh, one last thing. Tell them where they can find you. Um, everybody can find me on my Instagram. That's Dimitri.Stefan, which is D-E-M-E-T-R-I dot S-T-E-F-A-N. And also on my website, which is Dimitri Burke. So um, um, follow me, find me out, reach out to me. I'll be happy to interact and communicate. Thank you all so much. Yes. We out. <laughs> That's the noise. Yes. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.